like I'm Should afraid we just to leave see tomorrow? you. I'm afraid oh, yeah, I to never see want you. to see you again. I, this is the end. <laughs> We've reached a this friendship has come to a close. Uh-huh. Don't worry. I think we can still work together, but the friendship has I feel like it naturally sort of winded down, don't you? I mean, here's the thing, Quinn. We did remote recording for a long time. You say that? I think we did it like five times total in a podcast that has over 100 episodes. Yeah, if you're an oldie but goodie, dear reader, if you've been with us or if you heard our whole back catalog, you know that we've done remote and it was fine. So I think, uh, I don't know, We feel a lot of regret. We feel a lot of sadness right now, but this is... um... This is what I'm we're going to bring you. I'm feeling so many things. But I did want to, by the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepy. Creepy. Oh, God. That's Quinlan that didn't work at all. That's very <laughs> This is terrible. This is really bad. <laughs> Do you think if we FaceTimed, it would be easier than Zooming? I don't think it would be any different. Really? So, so I babysit every now and then, and I really enjoy being like a pinch hitter babysitter. It's like I come in, the kids are excited to see me. They're not annoyed of me just yet. We have a good time. Well, when I babysit, like I always joked if there's a nanny cam, they would just see me eating. Like that's truly my, like I would just, I just eat. It's like, it's weird that this newborn ate a whole box of Annie's mac and cheese and the answer is no it was actually Carrie they barely ate it it was on the floor and then Carrie ate the rest of it from the pot standing over the sink so like that's just the truth so this family that I was babysitting for they get these like pre-made foods that look really good and I listen they are so kind and are like, Carrie, eat whatever you want. Like, mikasa, sukasa, enjoy. But I feel like it's a party foul to open up something that hasn't been consumed yet. Like, I think, you know, the family mm-hmm. bought it. If it's open, I'll have at it and I won't finish it. I'm not like a mat of it all. <laughs> I won't put it back fully finished. <laughs> you won't put it back so- empty? I won't put it back empty. So I won't finish something unless they've like explicitly been like finish this. And I won't open something unless they've opened it. Those are just some of my weird neurotic rules. Yeah, which I think it's fair. They had gotten another package of these pre-made foods. And so they were cleaning out the existing inventory. And they were throwing out things that they hadn't eaten that I guess were a week old. And um, God, this is embarrassing. Um, they threw out this pesto chicken salad and it was still in the plastic container. It was untouched. And, um, I saw it in the, um, in the trash. In the garbage. And instead of, in the garbage, it was in its plastic. It was fully covered and it was at top. And I, and so the parents went to go work and then I was like, well, there's this perfectly good chicken salad. I'm hungry. <laughs> I picked it out of the trash and I made a sandwich. And and here's how neurotic I am. 
It was then that one of the parents came in to watch their kid do a dance class on Zoom, which is very cute. And I'm like sitting down to eat this sandwich and I think he sees me and I get so self-conscious that I like move into the kitchen and I'm like looking at him and like, and then I end up throwing out this sandwich because I don't want him to know that I've taken chicken salad out of the garbage. Here's the thing. Don't you think he's going to look in the trash, see the sandwich in the trash and a whole story then unfolds of like, I see what happened here. She took the chicken salad out of the trash, made herself a chicken salad sandwich and then threw the sandwich away. See, Quinn, you underestimate me because I've thought this through and I strategically put the sandwich below things and put stuff on top of it. So anyone opening the trash would not see a full chicken salad sandwich with like two bites out of it. And it's like... There was a decent amount of chicken salad, so I put all of it on the sandwich. I was like, I'm not going to waste this. My grandma taught me waste, not want, not want not. And I ended up having two bites and throwing it out because I was so embarrassed that I ate <laughs> chicken salad. No, I think it's great you did that for so many reasons. I think you're saving our planet and all the chickens. And I also think that um, you were probably liberated because usually you're trying to not finish but if it's already in the trash, like you said, you could really uh, go to town on this chicken salad and put as much on the sandwich as you want, a heaping spoonful of this. I think that it was I mean, a great idea. It was I'm a little not... sad you didn't finish it. I'd have, You know what I'd have done in your uh, shoes is I'd have just um, excused myself to use the bathroom and I'd have housed it in the bathroom. <laughs> no, I can't house this in. I it's a, it's a family with boys, I, bathrooms. You know, I I can't can't I can't eat in a bathroom. That I think I will draw. Here's the thing: I will eat oh, out of a trash. I will eat out of the garbage. I will not eat in a bathroom. And those are strict guidelines for me. Those are you know we all have our different sort of situations. I will eat chicken salad out of the garbage. I will not eat it in the bathroom. I'll do pretty much anything in the bathroom, and I think it's because I spend a lot of time hiding in there from my family um, and pretending to poop even when I'm not. Um, So I just, I'll sit in there and I'll, you know, catch up on some correspondence. I'll FaceTime a friend, um, you know. You'll phone a friend from the bathroom? Sure. You know what, why not? I'm not using the facility, I'm just hiding in there. Right. I'm not telling you you should have sat on the toilet and tried to do two things at once. I'm just telling you that, uh, I don't know, it would have been nice to sit in there, give yourself a minute, finish your chicken sandwich and come out with uh, no shame. The amount, I mean, the amount of chicken salad on there, I couldn't eat it fast. I couldn't eat it as fast. So I think I would be embarrassed. Like the dad would be like, where's Carrie? I'm, and, and the family mm-hmm. is so kind, so nice, and, like, they're just lovely people. And so I'm sure it was only my neuroses. But I, I, I recalled the Seinfeld episode where George eats the eclair out of the garbage. Um, and I felt like for a long time I was like, maybe I'm the Jerry. Maybe I'm Elaine. And then I had this moment where I said, oh, my God, I'm George. And that, that was a big moment of sort of reckoning. And something to talk about in therapy this afternoon, frankly. I just want you to know that I, I stand by you and you don't have to eat trash in private when you're in my house. You can do it publicly. For the record, your house doesn't have any. You know, you would never throw out food in your house. Yeah, well, I would. And Matt would find the food and Matt would take it out of the trash can. He's, <laughs> he's really a waste not want not kind of guy. 
he's a waste not to on a level that I I can't get behind. I that's fair. Um I wanted to tell you that I read an article about um this group of moms going into a field and doing a primal scream together. What it was makes like you in the bring New York that Times. up today, this morning, at this very moment? I'm confused. Dear <sighs> um, readers, please tell. Carrie knows I'm having a really hard morning. Here's what I think we should do. Do a couple Patreon thank yous, which I think is going to be very oh, that's gonna be terrible uh, in this me- particular medium. Yeah, this is going to be really bad. We owe these patrons extra long thank yous because these are not going to be well done. I can just tell. I have a feeling. <laughs> Bless you. Um, it was so intense. Oh God! It was really sorry. Intense. I really don't like this recording away from. I don't either. Say. And I think you're gonna test positive tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see. All right, the first. Listen, do you know who our first Patreon Ooh. subscriber is? We need to thank Nadine. Nadine. Nadine, 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 you join Patreon and we love you. Nadine. Better. We have to do better. Up it. Okay, okay. Again. All right. <laughs> From the Nadine, top. Nadine, Nadine, <laughs> you join Patreon. We love you. Your clothes and your whole Nadine, thing Nadine, on. Nadine, 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 Nadine. All right, I mean, it is good. what it is. Let's do Nicole. <gasps> Nicole, Nicole, you are a <laughs> Nicole, Nicole, it's a bottomless hole of thankfulness that we have. For you. Nicole, Nicole, our hearts are full. Nicole. Nicole. That sounded like a church chant. It was very religious. Um, I pray at the altar of Nicole. And Nadine, God damn it, I love you. I really all love right. all your mom friends. Let's I'm going to be honest on. with you. you. Know I love all no. your mom friends. You got really good mom friends. Oh, yeah. I've got the best mom friends. I'm going out with a new mom friend on Friday. And I'm supposed um, to babysit? Am I seeing in- you? Like, really? Am I going to see you at all? Take a test tomorrow. Like, Let's see how you feel. We got, I, you can't, I can't tell you what's going to happen in one day, let two. alone uh, two. Can you believe? Sure. Sure. <laughs> you know you what? You know what? Sure. Let's go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Let's go. I'm fucking ready. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, uh, All right. I have so much to tell well, you, but I like can't. We got to do yeah, a word from our sponsor. Okay. Carrie, that's enough. A word that's from our enough. sponsor. Here we go. <laughs> Dear readers, we have another podcast wreck. And we're really Guys. partial to it because we're featured in it. Let's be honest. Let's say it up Let's be front. honest. Let's be There's honest this... with our arrogance. Indie Drop-In Network's Scary Time is awesome. They're going to do a scarier paranormal story every single week. And each week is going to feature a different independent podcast creator that way you get a little sample you decide is this relationship right for me do i want to commit and then you can go ahead and find that podcast creator and listen to their show but in the meantime every week you're going to get some sort of story about i don't know a haunted thing an alien a creepy spot a monster what's not to like you know we love that here in fact we love it so much they've featured us on 
indie drop-in network scary time. So jump on there today and uh, re-listen to our episode and find some new people to listen to. It's like having a first date with a bunch of podcasters. (laughs) And we know you guys love dating. Date it up. (laughs) So find it wherever podcasts are listened to. Indie drop-in, scary times. Go get scared. Do I want to exercise every day? Yes. Do I? No. Do I want to eat a healthy meal every day? Yes. Do I? No. Would it be helpful if somebody emailed me every morning recipes and exercises I can do at home? Yes. That's why I'm here to talk to you about Movement and Meals. It's a newsletter that is delivered to your inbox every morning that says, hey, here's a recipe. Here's a way to move your body. And you do it. What's really cool about it, too, is if you sign up for this newsletter on Saturdays, they send you a shopping list for what you need for the upcoming week. So it's like mindless. You just can have healthy meals, do exercises without having to think about it. So you can try this for two weeks for free at movementandmeals.substack.com. And after the two-week trial, it's just seven bucks a month. That's it. It's like 35 cents a day for somebody else to just make all those decisions for you, which let's be honest, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us what to do so that we don't have to use that part of our brain. So sign up for Movement and Meals for free for two weeks at movementandmeals.substack.com and let, let's outsource someone controlling that part of our life, right? I could use that. Could you? Again, movementandmeals.substack.com. Get your life right. Okay, y'all, this is for anyone out there who has a website who sells things online and you want to do what? Sell more things while not spending as much money. Website feedback is for you. What they do is it takes feedback from your target audience and experts and tells you exactly what you need to change to make sure you get more people on your site, more sales. And for you, that means more revenue, more money in your pocket, all while spending less. If this interests you, you should visit websitefeedback.io. The link will be in our bio. Please visit them and let them take a look so they can increase traffic to your site so that you can make more sales, make more money, and they can help you from there. And we're back. <laughs> wow, that was Wasn't a fun that a break. Fun little break where we sounded like we were together. Um, <clears throat> COVID. Um, it's it? an even number, so you go first. All right. Well, so we're back, dear readers. Speaking of Nadine, um, Jared is the person that pointed me in the direction of this story. Nadine's you might, husband. You mean my concert going um, buddy. Also known, well, known on the playgrounds as... Robot Santa. Oh. Santa Robot. <laughs> Santa Robot, not Robot Santa. I'm so sorry. It's nope, different. It's Santa different. Robot. It's different. Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> you can't... It's... Yeah. I would... So I would say I got most of this from... There's a New York Times piece by... Karina Knoll, Karen Zrake, and Alexandra Alter. There's a slate piece by Laura Miller, a people piece by Chris Harris. Um, this is the story of, you know, do you know who Alice Siebold is? Yeah, how do I know that? Because she wrote um, a book you oh. probably know, but I'll get to that later. She was born in Madison, Wisconsin, but was raised in Philadelphia. In... West Philadelphia, born and raised. I don't know if it was West, but we had to do it. Uh, She went to Syracuse and she wanted to become a writer. So and she studies under like big deal people there. Raymond Carver, Tobias Wolf. It's it's a good place to go to school. She's um, 18 years old. She's about to complete her freshman year and it's 1981 and it's May. 
So we're really close to graduation. Everyone's in a party mood. And she goes to a pal's. They're partying. It gets late. It's time for her to walk back to her dorm. Um, So she's going on this brick path that goes through Thorndon Park. And, okay, what I want to tell you is this. She's about to get raped in this story. Did she write Lovely Bones? have gone back and... Yes. Oh, that she did. Hearing that just like really um, brought it all back. Oh my god. Here's what I want you to know, dear readers, and I'm sorry, Carrie, that you're not going to have a choice in the matter. But I have gone back and forth about whether to actually talk about how this rape went down because it's um really triggering and really upsetting and probably by all accounts TMI but because there's going to be some things that happen in the course of me telling this story that are going to make you feel um, maybe less sympathetic towards her I really wanted to explain what this assault was like in detail because I think just saying sometimes someone was raped we're all triggered by that we all have a thought about what that is and that's horrible and personal for everyone um but i want to do her justice by telling her story telling her story and so what i'm going to suggest though because this is so upsetting is that i'm telling you she was raped you do not need to hear the rest of what happened um in order to hear the rest of the story so if that's something if you don't want to hear some pretty upsetting things about this rape i would like click that like fast forward button like probably like three times and then you'll be in the neighborhood of me finishing this part um but what ends up happening is she's grabbed behind by a man he says he has a knife and that he's gonna kill her and she tries to escape and he pulls her by her hair there's like a tunneled uh entrance like to an amphitheater and he pulls her in And he tells her to undress and he tells her she's the worst bitch he's ever done this to. He tries to rape her. She is a virgin and he's having trouble uh, maintaining an erection. He gets really angry. So he ends up fisting her. And then he forces her to uh, give him a blowjob and he pees on her. Then he rapes her. Oh my God. People walk by while this is happening and assume that it's a couple and are like kind of like cheering for it. Um, Afterwards, he says to her, you're going to have a baby, bitch. He also tells her she's a good girl and that he's sorry. He asks her her name. He robs her. He asks her to kiss him goodbye. And he tells her it's not right what I did. So he's roller coaster of his own reaction to what he's done she's so scared that she's like i'm not gonna tell anybody about this but simultaneously she's trying to like be cognizant enough to remember anything about him that would help later she gets back to her dorm tells her ra to call the police and she goes to the hospital there's so much blood from what has happened to her that it's really hard for them to even do the rape kit she's in really bad shape they have to do internal stitches 
um, they're able to um, get a pubic hair. She describes her attacker to the police um, and they do a sketch and she's like, oh, it doesn't really look like him. Um, but what you need to know is that in the aftermath of this, I don't think it's going to come as a surprise when I tell you that she's an absolute wreck and that she has PTSD. Um, what also happens in the aftermath of this is I don't think her parents were great. Um, I know that her mom didn't really right. want to talk about it. And so she's like, why don't you go to this uh, psychiatrist that, that the family knows? And she goes and sees the psychiatrist and the doctor says to her, well, I guess this will make you feel less inhibited about sex now, huh? Oh, my God. I, I couldn't. I read that like six times because I just like, I can't be reading this right. That's insane. It's so upsetting. Oh, it's unbelievable. My God. Um, even though she's in really bad shape, she's not doing well. She goes back to school in the fall and she's having all kinds of problems because of this. Uh, headaches and nightmares and she's drinking. She's having anxiety. She has, like I said, she wants to be a writer and she's in a poetry class and she writes a piece about this happening to her about her attack and the teacher's like I feel like you're being kind of cerebral about it in this piece that you wrote um and you need to come more from I don't know I, I I'm paraphrasing what they said something like you need to you know come from a more raw place about it and really let me give you a prompt to write about it and the prompt the teacher gives her is if they caught you so she writes a piece that sort of starts with that. If they caught you and she writes this piece called Conviction and in it, she's exploring her own fantasies about this person being caught and her sort of getting back some of her power. Right. right. A week after she writes this piece and now that's five months after she was attacked, she's walking around town and goes by a restaurant and sees a guy and kind of double takes on him and hears him say something like, don't I know you are nice knowing you? Something that she's like, wait a minute, this is the guy. This is the guy that attacked me and she's in town. Um, the man that she is having these feelings about is named Anthony James Broadwater. He was also born in Syracuse where she's going to school. He's one of six boys which sounds like a nightmare for that mom um, <laughs> who also ended up dying, I guess, of pneumonia. Very sad. Um, and sh they live near Syracuse University where his dad worked as a janitor. He dropped out of high school. Anthony did around um, 17 and then joined the Marines. He gets discharged for an injury, gets disability and goes back to Syracuse to take care of his dad who's sick. On this day that Alice sees him in town, it's October 5th, 1981, and he's in town and he sees a cop that he recognizes, because remember, he grew up there. So he is, he and the cop are having some sort of exchange where he's like, don't I know you, or don't I recognize you, or whatever, and the cop's talking to him, and that's the moment that she sees him and is like, this is 100% the guy that raped me. So she goes to the cops and she's like, this is the guy that raped me. The description she gives is 
black and tall with wide and flat features. They bring him in and a few other black men in to do a lineup. She ends up choosing a different man out of the lineup, Mm -hmm. which usually I think the accusation component would end there because they'd go, not that black guy, you know, like. Totally. They ask her, like, you picked the wrong one. And she says, well, the two men look the same to me. Mm-hmm. We don't love that. We don't. We have notes. The, ass- the assistant DA, Gail Obelhoer, tells her, well, you know what happened? Anthony Broadwater is that one. And he showed up with this guy who I think is a friend of his and told this friend to look at you really threateningly and intimidating Okay, to try to I'm, get you. I'm no to choose lawyer, him. but this doesn't feel legal. Right. So she's like, it's this guy's conning you, basically. Um, they charge him with eight felony counts, including including rape and sodomy, and he's 20. So they're gonna go to trial. <sighs> Poor Alice's parents, they're nightmares. They're both like, don't want to go to trial with her. The mom has some mental illness and is like, I don't like to leave home. The dad is like, oh, this is really going to mess up my research trip that I want to go on to Spain. Like the parents, I'm really getting just such a strong feeling that they were not at all a support system for this girl. And I told you what happened to her. It is so brutal and so sad and no one's there for her which makes her sort of cling all the more to the assistant DA to Gail because she believes her and she's trying to help her and she'll talk to her about it and she'll be like and she'll do two things one is she'll reaffirm uh, you are a victim but she'll also be like we're gonna get this guy which makes her feel safe I think Totally. The um, case gets assigned to this guy, Stephen Paquette, who says that he felt like black men always get thrown under the bus that is our justice system. He's going to defend Broadwater, who says, look, I'm innocent. And I also I don't want to do a bench. I want to do a bench trial. I don't want to do a jury. I don't want to do a jury trial. Yeah. Towards the end of this trial, Anthony takes the stand and says, look, one thing I want to show you is I have all these kind of interesting things about how I look. I have a chipped tooth. I have scars on my face. Um, She didn't say that her attacker had any of these things. And if she was right up in his face, wouldn't she have noticed that these things about me? Um, They're like, where were you at the time? He's like, I was home, but there's really not any proof. They take... um, the pubic hair they have and a forensic chemist tests it and says that it's consistent with the hair sample that Anthony had submitted. Alice takes the stand and she's like, I don't have any doubts. It's this guy. And the bailiff says to Alice, I've been in this business for 30 years and you're the best rape witness I've ever seen on the stand. Oh God. Oy. Um, the trial's pretty short. It's just a couple days, and they the judge sentences him to 8 to 25 years. They find him guilty. He goes to prison, and he's 
tries to do what he can to make the best of his situation. He gets his GED and he studies law. He keeps trying to get his case revisited. His dad, who he had moved to Syracuse to take care of, dies while he's in prison. He's just all about trying to appeal this conviction. And one thing that obviously he's there a long time, he's there 16 years in prison because also every time he's up for parole, he says, I'm innocent, which they don't like, you know. Totally. It's this like horrible catch-22 where in order to get parole, you have to... You have to admit guilt even though you're not, ugh. So finally he gets out after 16 years. Obviously getting out is great, but the battle is not over. His life is so screwed up because of this. I mean, right. he's he's out, but he he's a sex offender. He has to abide by a curfew. He can't get a job anywhere. He meets this woman finally that he ends up having a relationship with um, Elizabeth. They do get married, but uh, he tells her right away this whole story because he's like, oh, I know that when I meet people, I have to tell them right away because otherwise they find out later and it colors our relationship. And he doesn't want her to find out later and not want to be with him. He also needs her to know because most of his life is kind of about trying to exonerate himself. Yeah. And they don't ever have kids because of what happened made him feel like he didn't want to bring kids into the world. Yeah. And his relationship with his family is not great because of all this. He said, on my two hands, I can count the people that allowed me to grace their homes and dinners. And I don't get past 10. That's very traumatic to me. Oh. Meanwhile, what happens in the aftermath for her is that she graduates in 1984. She goes to University of Houston in Texas. Say you're from New York without saying you're from New York. (laughs) University of Houston. (laughs) (laughs) She moves to Manhattan. She gets some waitressing jobs. She's trying to become a writer. Um, she's, yeah, she's doing okay. She definitely still has PTSD. She's scared all the time. And she tries to write a book, um, called Monster. Writing this book is not going great for her. And she's kind of like, you know what? I think I actually need to attack this story about my rape first, Mm -hmm. that that's going to help me. So she writes a story called Lucky and it's a memoir, uh, comes out in 1999 and it has, the story of her rape in it. She changes the name of the guy. It's not Anthony Broadwater in the book. It's uh, Gregory Madison. And after she writes this book, she feels like she's emotionally now ready to go back and look at the book she had been trying to write, Monster, which turns into... Lovely Bones. Exactly. Which, uh, for those of you that don't know, that's um, a novel about a 14-year-old girl that gets raped and murdered. Which, by the way, Um, I do want to say, I read that when I was probably 14. I was in high school. And I remember the first two chapters depict the rape. And I remember physically shaking from the depiction. And I remember, like, putting the book down. Like, I remember being in school, reading this, and shaking. It is so visceral. It is so traumatic. It was top of the New York Times bestseller list. It's adapted into a film um, starring the lovely Sir Ronan. And Stanley Tucci, I love. And Stanley Tucci. I mean, Tucci. not in this, we but love, he's, oh, he's, he's so a, good. Yeah. yeah, he's a treasure. But it just does really well. Like, I, I could be Bram Stoker Award, Heartland Prize, American Booksellers Association, Book of the Year Award for adult fiction. It just is winning, winning, winning. She gets um, 
an honorary degree from Emerson College. Now everybody knows her. She becomes more of like a household name. Because of this, people now go back and read Lucky, which hadn't been like, hadn't seen nearly the amount of success. But now that now that everyone knows Alice Siebold, they go back and read Lucky. Okay, enter the character Timothy Musiante. He is a disbarred lawyer from Michigan who has gone to prison for fraud before. Um, anecdotally, I have to tell you this, that one of his like wild and crazy uh, get money ideas was that he was going to convince investors that he was going to buy condoms and latex gloves and trade them in Russia for chickens that would be sold in Saudi Arabia. I read that and was like, I'm in. Sounds like a sound plan to me. I I'm said, in. I'm I in, Timothy. Like shark Let's tank. do this thing. I'm in. I'm in. And I'm <laughs> all in. He pocketed <laughs> the money instead. Um, oh, shocking. Anyway, after being in... <laughs> really? That wasn't your dream ever since you were a young boy? <laughs> to trade condoms for chickens? And latex gloves for chickens in Saudi I Arabia? Don't I don't even know where to that's begin. That's so weird. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's just upsetting when something like that is in the palm of your hand and you let it go. <laughs> And you let it go. Oh, one day, one day, Timothy. Um, after he does time, he starts a film production company and he's going to make Lucky into a movie in Toronto. So he reads the book and he's like, had the reaction that you had when I was telling you about this. Because she talks about all this stuff that happened in the trial and at the yeah. lineup. And he's like reading it and he's like, whoa, this sounds kind of fucked. Like, this woman, Gail, telling her that they're friends in the lineup and that he, he tricked her and then told her, don't worry that you mis-ID'd this guy. I'm going to help you figure out how to talk about it in front of the grand jury. It's just, it's mind-blowing. And he says, hold up, I don't know if I want to fund this film. It's sitting really weird with me. And they're like, whatever, just beat it. Someone, you know, someone else is going to make the movie then. He hires a PI. He can't get it out of his head. To look into this, he meets a cop that was working um, around that case at the time that says, actually, I think they got the wrong guy. And he starts reaching out to some lawyers, the lawyers that Anthony couldn't fucking afford um, and who were paying him no mind. He gets them to start going through the files. And what stands out to them is the idea that Alice would have spotted her rapist five months afterward. That seems weird to them. The mis-ID obviously is weird to them. Anthony passed two polygraphs, which is weird to them. Um, they start working to overturn the conviction with the DA. And the lineup is really what gets everybody stirred. Yeah. You know, they're all like, we've seen Law and Order. Or we are Law and Order. And that's not how this works. This past November, this past November, Anthony Broadwater is 61 now <gasps> and his fifth appeal is approved and he is pardoned no way he is in he was in the courthouse weeping weeping his name has been cleared after 40 fucking years and 16 and years says, in jail he says if you never did it you don't ever give up you don't admit to nothing i just wish my dad was here to see it oh my god wait how does Alice feel about this? So she wrote a public apology. Um, it's posted on Medium if you want to read it and says. So she she 40... owns that this guy is in it. She accepts that. Okay. Yes. She says 
40 years ago, as a traumatized 18-year-old rape victim, I chose to put my faith in the American legal system. My goal in 1982 was justice, not to perpetrate injustice, and certainly not to forever and irreparably alter a young man's life by the very crime that had altered mine. I am grateful that Mr. Broadwater has finally been vindicated, but the fact remains that 40 years ago, he became another young black man brutalized by our flawed legal system. I will forever be sorry for what was done to him. Um, and it's longer than that, but that's the gist. And he says of her that it was really strong and courageous of her to do that. And he says she went through an ordeal and I went through one, too. I'm just grateful, man, that I have the normalcy now of being a decent person in people's eyes. Wow. So he's going to try to he, his plan is to try to get financial restitution from the state and maybe file a federal civil rights lawsuit. The hair comparison they used to try to say it was him has since been discredited as unreliable science. I do want to say that, like, the takeaway is so tricky because there's a lot of racism at work here. Um, But I just do want to point out that it is not, nor is it ever, the responsibility of a victim to solve their own crime. And so in this case, the system failed everyone, fail both of them. Yeah. Um, and I know that a lot of people feel like she was part of the problem and that she should have thought about it later and looked at the problems the way Timothy did. You have someone, you have the police telling you it's this person. That's, and you're, there's comfort in knowing who, who did it. Otherwise, that person is still out there. So, you know. Exactly. She felt like part of this emotional recovery that she probably experienced, and I don't know that she has ever totally recover I don't think you do from something like that but the safety she must have felt when someone was put away your attacker is off the street and that she would be scratching her head to look at holes in that story oh I don't think that's how that works oh it's very complicated and very dark well, so after this happened, the publisher pulled Lucky. So you can't, it was pulled. You know, you can't get it anymore, anywhere. And Black feminist scholars have talked about it and said it has a lack of critical race analysis. And um, it was, you know, they, they also questioned Alice's choice to talk a lot about her the race of her rapist and what that's about for her mm-hmm. and for the world at large. They also say that in the book, and I haven't read it, that there's the, her parents are really racist and that's talked about really casually, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's Tim a- Musiant- Timothy Musianti is going to make a documentary about all this centering around the wrongful conviction of Anthony Broadwater and they are calling the film. Can you guess? Unlucky. Yep. Unlucky. Wow. Whoa. And that's the story of Alice Siebold and Anthony Broadwater. Thank you for that story, Jared. Thank you. Husband to Nadine. Father to Ozzy, husband to Nadine. And Santa Robot. Lest we forget Santa Robot. Hey, should we do a word from our sponsors? Do you get confused by essential oils? I don't know how to use them, but I know I like them. And that's how I feel, too. And I want to be a person that uses them. Like, I support it. But what am I doing? You know? Totally. So there's this company, Simply Earth, that you're going to love. They send you 
an essential oil recipe box with everything you need. So it has the oils and it teaches you how to use them. It says, oh, do you want to make a, I don't know, a cream out of this, a lotion? Do you want to make a deodorant out of this? And it shows you exactly how to use your oils, which are all, by the way, totally toxin free. They sent us a package of what you would receive. And can I tell you, it is, it was like Christmas morning here. Simply Earth gives 13% of all profits to end human trafficking around the world as well. Gotta support that. I love Which is that. like, I love a company that helps, but also does some really nice, cool shit that's meaningful. Whole thing, this whole kit, it's not gonna break your budget. It's gonna make also a completely rad gift, wouldn't you say? If you use the code TDC, if you go to simplyearth.com slash TDC, you get a free essential oil diffuser. That's a good deal. So again, if you want it, which you should, go to simplyearth.com slash TDC and it starts smelling beautiful today. My name is Amy, a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And together with my older sister, Jenny, I host a podcast called Gen X This Is Why. Each week, we look back at the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared Gen X childhood. And we attempt to figure out, Gen X, this is why. This is why um, I hate camping and any other activity that involves sleeping, peeing, or bathing without walls and plumbing. This is why our entire generation was terrified of lasers. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I thought that severe depression was a normal part of adolescence. This is why... I'm glad I have daughters. This is why I'm not monogamous. (laughs) Our current weekly series is Little House on the Prairie, and we also cover some of our favorite movies like Top Gun, Dirty Dancing, Heathers, Halloween, and more. Gen X This Is Why is part snark, part nostalgia, and a whole lot of sibling rivalry. I just didn't, I didn't realize that you were pretending to not be smart. (laughs) think that's interesting you were good at it i mean you nailed like that was an oscar (laughs) award-winning performance find us on any podcast app or visit our website at genxthisisy.com that's genxthisisy letter x spell out the y we're back which by the way i didn't include this in our sponsor but i do want to just say last night i was walking home from babysitting and um It was a 30-minute walk, so it was like 11 o'clock. I was walking home. It was nice. It was cold, but it was nice to get a little bit of exercise in before bed. And at one point, a car pulled up next to me, and I got really freaked out. And you know what I did? I reached in my pocket, and I grabbed my birdie, and I felt better. I'm not kidding you. I did. I felt better. No, I believe you. I was coming home from the train or from the plane on Sunday night, and my plane was taxing for an hour. And I was, I took the train home because it's $10 versus $60. And I was like, I probably shouldn't because it was quite late. But I did. I was on the train and I, you know, I grabbed my birdie and put it in my pocket and I felt better. So that's just my two cents of personal that I wanted to share with you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, if you guys want to grab one, TDC, TDC 10. 10. Okay. I'm going to do this story of Amber Renee Hagerman. Hagerman? We don't know. Um, I got this information from Wikipedia. Dayless. That's Dallas. Dayless? Did you just... So it's Houston and Dayless? I can't. I can't. I don't know what's going on with us today. Houston and Dayless. Shameful. What the fuck? Okay. Wikipedia. Dallas Morning News. All that's interesting. People. The True Crime Files. Gone Too Soon. Kiro 7. So... We're in Arlington, Texas. 
It is 1996. This little girl, Amber, she's nine years old. Hold on, I have to sneeze. COVID. Okay. <laughs> you got to stop doing that. I hope you don't do that while you're in public, Carrie. <laughs> Every time you sneeze or cough, yelling COVID. Well, I didn't yell it. I said it under my breath. It's a really nasty I habit. said it under... Am I going to a piano bar tonight? Oh, Jesus. What am I doing? Trying to give everybody COVID, apparently. I mean, I tested negative yesterday. <laughs> okay. So Amber Hagerman, um, we're in, it's Arlington, Texas. It's 1996. Amber is nine years old. She is a really sweet girl. She's in Girl Scouts. She loves to ride her bike. And um, it's January 13th, and she's staying with her grandma, and she's with her little brother. And they decide to leave her grandma's home because she just got this bike for Christmas. And she's like, you know what? I want to do some sweet rides around the block and my brother can come with me because I'll allow it and the grandma was like listen don't go past the block you can go around this block but don't go further than the block so she's riding with her brother and nearby there's a Winn-Dixie grocery store and it's an abandoned Winn-Dixie so they're like in the back I guess there's like a little ramp that they can go over, which is something I really can identify with. But they go to this really cool ramp. It's about a fifth of a mile away from their home, from grandma's home. And while she's in this abandoned grocery store, a black pickup truck comes. A man gets out, grabs Amber, and she screams she's kicking the man It's a guy, and he puts her in the truck, and he drives off. At this time, there's this guy, Jimmy Kevill, who is in his backyard of his house that overlooks the Winn-Dixie parking lot, and he sees all this happen. So he sees the black um, pickup truck come, grab Amber, put her in the truck, and scream. So he's like, okay, my blink is off. So he calls the police and he's like listen here's what i saw i saw a man get out of a truck he's white or hispanic he's in his 20s or 30s he's under six feet tall medium build brown black hair and he took this little girl at the time jimmy kevill is 78 years old and he's seeing this through a scene a through um, a fence between his property and the winn dixie so the police immediately are like all right we're on it so 50 people immediately go out are searching the area are looking for her they cannot find the black truck they cannot find amber and this all happens fast like there's an eyewitness who sees this happening and calls the police right away that's it they're looking for her they're looking for her five days later they find a child's body in a creek four miles from the parking lot She is naked. Her throat is cut. It is Amber. She looks like, based on the autopsy, that she's been kept alive for two days and then died. They also say that nearby there are people working near this creek area and they saw nothing, but there was a massive thunderstorm. So they believe that the thunderstorm raised the water and and brought her body into the creek where she was found by people. The police go and tell Amber's parents when they get a confirmation ID that it is Amber. They tell her parents. Her parents are so distraught and in shock that when the police leave after telling both their parent, both her parents that she is dead, they tell reporters 
that she is still alive. That is the shock. Like, so the police go and tell her parents that she's dead. They found her body. The police leave. The reporters are all there. The child has been missing for five days, right? The father goes out and is like, Amber is still alive. Heartbreaking. The only evidence they have is that one eyewitness account. Mm. That's it. Right. Between the fence. Okay. That's it. There are no leads. So the community keeps asking, you know, has anyone seen anything? Did you see a black pickup truck? Like what? Please, like any information you have. Now, this area is a is a has a large Hispanic community. And some people, you know, Mm -hmm. it's in Texas. Some people might not be there legally. And so they kept trying to encourage the community. If you know anything, please tell us. But people think that there's a possibility that people were fearful of deportation, that they didn't want to go and speak to police about this situation. Mm. They have 7,000 leads, but no evidence, nothing tying anything to this crime. It is a well-known situation. This is a well-known case throughout the area, right? She's a nine-year-old girl who just disappears and there's no resolution. So after Amber's funeral, there was a local radio show. This mother calls in who was like, listen, I'm just a mom, but I have this idea. We get all these notifications if there's a thunderstorm, if there's a tornado, whatever it may be. We get these notifications. Can't we get a notification if a child goes missing? Yeah. The Dallas Fort Area the Dallas Fort Worth area broadcasters, they partnered with law enforcement to create an alert to notify viewers, listeners of missing children. And they call it the Amber, the Amber Alert. Alert. They name it after this child, Amber. Oh, amazing. So it is an acronym or... I knew there. I knew it was named after a person. I just, uh, I didn't know the story, yeah, though. Yeah, that's why we had talked about that it was named after a person. And then I had to do the research because I was like, I'm curious what the case looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, A-M-B-E-R, um, and in 19, so she was abducted and killed in 1996. Um, in 1998, an eight week old infant was the first child rescued using an Amber Alert. Oh, wow. Thanks to the Amber Alert over, as of 2021, over 1000 kids have been found safe. That's so great. Did they ever find out who did that to Amber? No. It's twofold, though, because with an Amber Alert, it it allows people to see. But it also, what they find with Amber Alerts is that if the abductor sees the Amber Alert, they're, they release the child or they release the kid. Because they're like, I don't want to deal with this extra heat. So it's like a twofold alert system. Everyone is looking for me. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. It's been almost 25 years to the day. The case is still open. There's a new line. If anybody has any information, it's 817-575-8823. Oak Farms Dairy is offering a $10,000 reward for any and all information. 
well, not any information for any resolution. They're offering a $10,000 reward. Authorities have recently disclosed that they have some DNA evidence in the case. Wow. Um, but the police have also, and also said that they have some physical evidence that obviously the public doesn't know. And when asked what that was, they said, you know, it's only information the killer would be aware of and they don't want to make it public. And the, the DNA and the physical evidence have been kept and maintained for the last 25 years in the hopes that technolo- technological advances could possibly get someone. They are hoping to submit that DNA later this year to see if there's any matches or anything like that. I know it's short and sweet, but that is the wow. story of Amber Renee Hagerman. More like short and sad. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for telling me that story. I mean, it's very interesting to know also the origin story of Amber Alert. What color is Amber? I think Amber is like um like an orangey yellow. Mm. Uh, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's why I asked. Or like brownie, brownie orange. All right. <laughs> you said brownie and I got hungry. Um, that's where I'm at. Oh, brownie. I didn't even, I, I was, yeah, bra- it's funny. I said brownie and I didn't even think of it. Oh, right. I think this was great. I think, you know what? This was what it was. I think, um, I hope you guys had an okay time listening. I can tell you with all honesty, we did not have a good time recording. We do not enjoy. I actually had a good time hearing your story. I actually did like your story. I had a good time talking to you and catching up. But sure. it wasn't how I wanted to spend. I did, It's not the ideal situation. Yeah, I just like in the room with each other. I like to be in the room where it happens. I like to, yeah, I like to be in the room where it all happens. I like to see it uh, live from New York. It's, it's Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday morning. Afternoon. You're right. No, it's morning. Please it's Wednesday morning. Afternoon yet. I've been up so many hours. This day won't end. <laughs> <laughs> Dear readers, thanks for shouting us out in all the murder rooms. Keep doing what you do and tell a tell a friend. <gasps> Thank tell you. a friend they should give it a try. What do they have to lose? Uh get us some new listeners because the more of you that listen, the more wild and out of control. And unpredictable this party that is truly darkly creepily gets and i love it keg stand and that's on god <laughs> keg stand on god <laughs> yeah and that's on god, god a keg stand on god, god do a keg stand frankly every time i go in a keg stand i do do a prayer i'm agnostic but i do still pray you never know you never know what's going to happen in a keg stand <laughs> that's the truth amen oh.